Today's episode is brought to you by Jaipur Living. Jaipur Living is committed to the craftsmanship and quality of handmade rugs and textiles. They are keeping this age-old tradition alive through their partnership with over 40,000 artisans across India. Start creating beautiful lives for your clients across all price points by opening a trade partnership account. Sign up at jaipurliving.com hyd. It's time for another process party. And this time we're breaking down how we set budget expectations with clients. Whether it's furnishing or remodeling projects, we have to set proper expectations early. Because money isn't just part of the conversation, it is the conversation. Let's go. Hi, I'm Rebecca of Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers, turned internet friends, turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the club. club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? It's summertime. And the living is not easy. It really, <laughs> it really wanted to be. <laughs> really high hopes. But it's not. It's not. It's, you know, <laughs> the work doesn't stop because kids are out of school, so... And project like projects are still going. It's not like my clients are like, okay, we'll see you in September. That would be so nice. Only if I could keep getting paid. I mean, I've heard of a couple designers who do that, and that is goals. They communicate all yeah. you want. Like, we're done in June fifteenth, and see you like after Labor Day. I mean, Catherine did that when I. I mean, I keep talking about that a lot, but it's because I fantasize about that, like, summers in France, you know, like, that she did when I interviewed And that's where her. it would be helpful to have a trusted team. That's just... Yeah, like, we didn't go. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, you we didn't, didn't get working. to go. She's there, but she would still be doing behind-the-scenes things, or she could purchase things for clients, but she it's such a a relief of pressure and anxiety to be like, no one's expecting this. Like, if I do it, they'll be happy. If I don't, and they wait six weeks for me to come back, wonderful. Yeah, again, like, I'll be there with my red pen. I'll give you a little yes, no, thumbs up, thumbs down, but not real deep, creative, visionary stuff or all day to day. Like, she would send them emails with photos like, I reserve this at an antique shop. I think this credenza would look beautiful in your house. You have two days to let me know yes or no, so I can get it on a shipping container. Okay, so new vision board sourcing <laughs> summers wish, in France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doesn't need to be a whole project. Can I just like spend the summer sourcing? I still think that there is a future Hot Young Designers Club event in Marrakesh in Morocco. VIP. Mm-hmm. Club members only. Keep talking. Working with a merchant or someone who can help us secure a container. Mm. And then like six to eight of us can share the customs costs and all of that to just like spend the week loading that sucker up. 
like yes. staying in a Riyadh. The whole house is ours. Let us know who's in. Well, that brings me to my fizzle and sizzle. Okay. <laughs> my fizzle is I'm going on vacation in a week. That's the fizzle? <laughs> yes, because I am so freaked out. I do this in a normal year where I just cram every single thing in before I leave. Like it's the end of yeah. days. <laughs> I have to gotta do get a, a meeting. Wardrobe. I gotta get a haircut. I have to hold new wardrobe. Like get all Manny my new Petty. clients set up. Close up all my whole clients. Yeah. Manny Petty. All the like maintenance. Send out bills. <laughs> exactly. Clean my whole house. Clean out the closets. <laughs> like it's just too much. So I'm you need like 14 pots of coffee this weekend to get everything done before you go. And I just need to reality check myself on what really has to happen. Do I need to have a new client meeting before I leave? Can they just wait? Um, just make yes. sure you don't leave Desmond in the house like home alone where you're like, Desmond! On the plane, <laughs> like Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> and then he's just he's in the house. like Shaving with aftershave. And if you had more time on your hands, you could make a really hilarious reel of oh that. Oh my god, I don't have that. <laughs> yeah, so fizzle is I'm going on vacation. We are going to Hawaii. By the time you hear this, I'll have already alohad. And <laughs> I'm really excited, obviously, <laughs> for a vacation of any sort. And I have zero plans once we get there. So that's going to be great. And that, I guess, would be my sizzle is, I'm going to Hawaii. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing to not have a lot of plans and to just be eating and drinking. And let's take a nap in the middle of the afternoon under an umbrella. Yeah, it's just going to be the three of us. We haven't had like solid family vacation time. So it'll be really fun. So yay for vaccines and travel. I know. Well, okay, then I hate to add to that vacation journey because we did not compare notes before we started recording. Oh, but on my fizzle side was you knew this, but I had been trying to plan a trip to Provincetown with the gaze of Long Beach. We were all trying to figure out how to do this because we've liked vacationing together. And it's just so much more fun to do this with like our friends and go to cities we haven't been to together. And we really wanted to go. And we started looking at houses and we're kind of late in the season. We were trying to go in July and I'm telling you, girl, you know that I'm bougie, but I'm willing to make some compromises if the destination's going to be fun and the people are going to be great and whatever. Girl, some of these places were going to have us sleeping on futons and that's not happening. Mm. I'm not a 23 year old on a drinking vacation out of Dixie cups. No, I am going Dixie to the bar, cups. mixing cocktails. I need glassware. Yeah. I'm not sleeping on a futon for a week. Mm-hmm. And it's just tough because, you know, we have a group of eight that we were planning on and it's like, well, that doesn't work when you're booking later. And the prices were getting crazy. I'm not paying $1,600 a night for eight people to share a house and sleep on a futon. Someone was going to have to sleep on a futon. It didn't necessarily have to be me, but y'all were grown people. I'm the youngest out of that group and I'm 36 and most of them are already firmly into their forties. So that's not going to be fun either for them. Like, no, really? It's not fun for me. So I exactly, I know it's not going to be fun for them. 
So that trip is not coming together, but we have some other things planned. And I'm not putting it out of the realm of existence that we may or may not be trying to plan a short turnaround to a European city now that Europe is announcing reopening strategies. Mm. So stay tuned. Mm. Stay tuned. That, so the fizzle was Provincetown didn't Stay work anyway. out, but we were pretty close to making that happen. And we're working on some other strategies. Um, sizzle side. This is one that I just want to share because I know you'll like it. And I know we've been talking about this journey away from boring, away from neutral, embracing pattern and color and texture and weirdness. And mm-hmm. I found that this week in, I don't know if you follow Carolina Irving textiles. Mm-hmm. she i will we'll put it in the show notes you guys need to see this but the fabric i am specifically in love with is her almadi i might be saying that wrong almadi or almadi velvet and it is gorgeous it's a cotton velvet it has this great sort of like tribal or Berber Persian sort of pattern in it where it almost looks like a rug, but it's so the colorways are so beautiful. And I just want to go crazy and like do a whole headboard out of it or a whole sofa. Almost. Like it's gorgeous. Do that. So I'm, okay. I'm trying to figure out where, when, or how that can be in my life. Cause you know, once you get obsessed with it as a designer, it, if I can't have it, a client somewhere somehow needs to have it. I would love it if I have it, but <laughs> I'm obsessed. Yeah, I love the I'm looking at it now. So that one I'm going to put in the show notes. You guys can Pretty. see. Follow her on Instagram, Carolina Irving Textiles. It's to die for. I you can't. Just give me all the bold and different, please. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's that's my sizzle of the week. Well, should we go head into the party? Oh, let's get into it. Mm-mm-mm. Pew, 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 pew. All right. Process party part eight. We've been kind of taking process parties a little bit slow, trying to meter them out and get to things. But this one we could not wait on anymore. And it's been weighing on us. We've been talking about it a lot in our internal pod. It's all around this idea of we keep saying like, oh, you got to find the right client. You got to find the right project. I think we both feel like we've come to these realizations that a huge component of whether it's the right client and the right project is whether there's an appropriate budget expectation very early in the process. Yes. And how it's our responsibility to communicate that clearly. And it's hard because there's so many variables, but if you find a way to just talk confidently about it from the beginning and get like a clear understanding with the client, what it could look like, so that they feel comfortable and trust you and you're not feeling like surprises with money or I think when trust issues start coming up and people start questioning. Yeah, like we led them astray. And I get it for a lot of newer designers. 
you're almost figuring it out as you go. If you haven't worked with other designers where you have realistic numbers, or if you worked with a designer where they were at a very different place in their client projects, and now you're starting on your own and you're at kind of an entry place to the market, it, it is ambiguous. And we also need to know what our budget minimums are for clients. Some of it is in their best interest to set a price minimum. So if they only have $5,000 to spend in a whole room, it doesn't make sense for them to give us any of that. So that's us being helpful to let them know that from the beginning that their money's best spent staying in the budget. Yeah, it's we've both adapted our processes to talk about this stuff much earlier because we both naturally get very excited about projects. We want to talk with clients. We want we want to see projects come to these visions. But the problem is, is that when we walk in, we're having visions of some of these beautifully appointed spaces, whether it's remodeling or furnishing. And then meanwhile, the client puts this lens, uh, you know, another lens in front of it that we don't always see if we don't talk about budget. So I, I think it is so used to these numbers that $50,000 for one room isn't really a lot in yeah. the scheme of things. But for a client who's never done this before, that could really freak them out. So totally. We gotta, we gotta just be helpful, provide information in the beginning before anybody gets invested too far in. And it's not, none of it's personal. It's just learning and being confident and realistic. I agree with all of that. And we're all in different spaces. So yeah, being upfront with it here, there are various levels of design, we recognize that everyone could be at different places, we're kind of speaking to it from where we're at or where we've come from. But we recognize that there may be a job that a hottie would take on that has a smaller budget. So these are all relative things when we start talking about some of the numbers. Don't feel like, oh, that number is where I have to be. We're both in California. The cost of living is different. The numbers are going to be different. Take it with the, I need to look at my market wherever I am and find out, oh, that actually translates pretty directly or I need to raise mine higher or lower based on those expectations. And you may start somewhere else than we did. I would highly recommend listening to episode 44 process party when we talk about furniture education, kind of the same idea, like you need to create your own baseline, your own business model. And um, yeah, take all of that in stride with what we are talking about. Totally. I'm, that episode was good because we talk about how it's are you aiming at a client who thinks that a $3,000 sofa is expensive or do they feel like a $3,000 sofa is the minimum starting point or are they starting at $10,000? That's just going to depend on the types of projects you're trying to create. So, and also the, build, how you can educate. It's We all need to educate ourselves and then educate our clients so they can make smart choices. And you can grow with this. So if you're starting here, you might be in a very different place three years from now, but we're hoping that there's some tools and ideas here that you can use long term and keep keep elevating them as you grow. So we're going to talk a little bit more about specific pricing models that we use and how we set budget expectations. After our interview in episode 26 with Jacob Medina, 
he was really helpful talking about how he does it. Um, he uses a good, better, best furnishing accessory guide with his clients. He was really, he's been very um, generous and share, has shared that with a lot of the design groups. We have created our own. So be sure to stick around because later in the episode, we're going to be telling you how you can get a free download of that guide. Yeah, I think the idea is introduce budget expectations early, have things to refer to. Both of us talk, start talking budget and numbers with clients. Even before discovery call, we're asking for information from clients in order to schedule discovery calls with us about what their budget expectation is or what their design fee expectation is. We want to be able to compare what they think is the realistic number. And then we can always talk about them about what's realistic after that. But money needs to come up really, really early. Yeah. And the farther I get into my business, the more comfortable I'm getting, getting my own personal money story out of the equation. It's, I mean, it's a lot of, emotional labor in the beginning, I feel like if you are new mm-hmm. to this, but it's important because we're, we need to be good stewards of our clients finances, honestly. And knowing that information up front early as possible helps us find the best space for them to work with us or not. Like maybe it's just a consultation and you can be as helpful as possible during it. You know that I've helped clients where they either I started off giving them realistic numbers and they just didn't want to believe it. Or early in my career, I was giving what I thought were realistic numbers and then bids were coming in and they were drastically different and clients were struggling to come up with with the rest of those numbers. So I mean, that's our cautionary tale part of it. It comes with experience and time. Yeah. And And, yeah, never promise anything. I always caveat. I think it's always safe to say that these are reasonable ranges. I don't really like locking in during a consult or a discovery call on an exact number unless the client is sharing a hard limit ceiling number. Sometimes I'll ask a client that during a consult. I'll say, what's a number that makes you sick if the project goes over it and you absolutely cannot go past that number? And I say it like that to get them to feel that sort of visceral reaction to it. That's a good idea. I think it's helpful just to get comfortable talking about money in the beginning because they need to be comfortable talking to us about it. Mm -hmm. We are in a culture where money is a taboo topic, but we have to be able to do it. And it's not... Like, we just have to be matter of fact. I just try to put my no emotional hat on. Like, there's no judgment, but we need to know what's realistic for you to do before we could even do anything. Right. I can't even give you a proper proposal if I don't know what we're talking about. Right. And I mean, I tell them, I mean, I don't tell them this, but in reality, like, I don't have $100,000 in cash to spend on a kitchen remodel. (laughs) <laughs> but that's pretty realistic. Like it's not out of bounds to need Mm-mm. that. It's not a crazy number. So I think there's two main approaches. One for furnishing or accessory, like decorating projects, and then one for construction. And we, I think we should do furnishing first. Let's do furnishing first. 
So the first part that you alluded to was when we talked with Jacob and he talked about this idea of a tiered furnishing scale is it's really building it off of the example of here is a room. Here is a list of all the average things that go in a room. And then here's a price point for them. And then it was built on a good, better, best sort of not necessarily just the quality, but also including price points. And you and I have called them different things. I also have my categories are built around budget, moderate or distinctive. Find the language that works for your clientele and what you want to do and how descriptive you feel that it is to help them connect with the idea. Exactly. And what range you're going to talk about. So we've talked about like maybe the budget range is a column that we wouldn't be a good fit for clients who are in that range, but it's still good to let them know and find where they are. If they're in the Ikea target column, then that's fine, but probably DIY that. Right. Because they're going to spend more on the design fee and they need that couple thousand bucks to put into the room itself. Yes. And it's okay that they're not at that level. I think that's the thing we're trying to get to is it's okay for clients to understand and for you to know as a designer, that's not a fit for what you do. You don't have to serve everybody just because they ask. And you're not a snob or hoity-toity because of it. It just doesn't make business sense. Right. And wherever your clients are at that moment or wherever you are in your design stage, I think setting that first range in the tiers is important to be aligned with. These are the minimum type of projects I will work on. Draw the line in the sand, whatever analogy you want to give it to. This is where we start. This is where Renset Interiors starts projects. And you, I know it's hard to say that as a designer to a client, but these are the projects we're working on and leave it. Just let it sit. And that's providing good service. So I, what we've talked about, what I'm going to do is create a new column for those budget clients and clearly note that these would be great for either e-design or designer on call. If you fit into this range, you're not going to be full service, basically. So I'm going to yeah. Find if a you way offer to like a design only service to clients, if you're listening and you're thinking like, oh, I would do that, and I'll just let them budget Purchase. search all of it. Mm-hmm. But once you start moving up that tier, we're thinking about wholesale purchasing. Yes. So the way I use my guide too is I use it to build the ultimate budget for the client. So it's basically the same, I guess, spreadsheet type of columns. So I have them go through line by line. So if it's a living room, I list out most of the items that would be in the living room. And I have a tool where they can calculate it in an Excel document. But it's basically like going line by line and people can move across the different columns. So the good column, maybe they are fine with a good level coffee table, mm-hmm. but then they want to get into best for a sofa because they want something with longevity. So they can toggle between columns. So I've created a little calculator that they can 
make the choices and then it just tabulates what their total would be so they get a good idea of where they'd be at. It's a helpful exercise because most clients have never run through and tried to add up everything because they've never bought like this. They've usually collected slowly over time, inherited pieces, vintage pieces, family things, whatever. And they've never had to go into a room and add it all up. I do something similar to that where we go through it and I ask them to put it into a range because I want to have the flexibility to know that I could source other pieces. So if they say it's between 15 and 20,000, okay, there's a little more wiggle in there. I can source something better than where they thought they were comfortable because I'm still landing in that range. I like that like a do not exceed kind of number. Uh huh. I think this would be a helpful exercise to do to sit down with a client if they need a little more handholding, print out the list and then just highlight what column they're in and talk them through everything. So you can kind yeah. of coach them like, okay, well, if we're trying to stay under 30,000, then let's go a little bit less quality on things like side tables or pillows, but I think it's important to invest in lighting and upholstery that you use all the time. So you can coach them and do some sales as you go. That's valuable because they don't know. They, They have no idea. I've been doing this with my parents. We've been redoing their living room and they've, they've been collecting over time. And my mom also likes to shop vintage and thrift and all that. But I'm trying to get them a finished room that's complete at the same time. (laughs) And I want them to have nice things. They deserve it. So some things like lamps, they've never really invested in lighting. And what I got them isn't really (laughs) super high end anyway, but a $500 lamp was really Mm -hmm. like sticker shock to my mom, but we fit it into their budget. I'm just deciding where we're going to spend it. And it's beautiful. It's this beautiful Korean Coke table lamp. They're really thoughtful components of a design that clients are paying us for the expertise to say, this is where I think your money is well spent because... Let's splurge here, we'll save elsewhere. Yeah. And you see, even the most skilled designers have to fit stuff like that in. Often my telltale sign is when I see like a jute rug in what is otherwise a really high-end looking finish project, I'm like, maybe they just really wanted a jute rug. But usually, it's the fact that a jute rug is relatively inexpensive and not heartbreaking for someone to think about replacing if they didn't overinvest in it. Because the budget got used on other built in components, or like they have pets, they have kids, they know there's no way they can keep it. Right. Yeah. So I feel like we see that if you really pay attention to to good design, you know that that's happening. Like a jute or a sisal rug for me is the telltale sign of, okay, that was a save item. Look for the other things in the room that got splurged on, like a custom piece of upholstery. Right. There's a lot of different ways you can play with mm-hmm. it. You might be able to convince clients with the wordplay. Some clients don't want things to be budget. So they will lean away from those items because they don't like the connotation of it being entry level or budget. On mine, it also shows a comparison to 
how would this relate to a retail brand? So is this equivalent to something I'm going to find at a pottery barn or at a Target? I think for clients to tie quality and the value and the finish level to something that they might have seen elsewhere, even if you're not going to be specifying those those items, there's plenty of wholesalers at various degrees like we talked about in episode 44. So it's getting them to recognize and how do these correlate. Sold a pottery barn. <laughs> right. Or it might be a piece there. of upholstery that's also sold at West Elm. But I'm working with a client right now who was who was like, I'm ready to move away from that. At one point had hand me down, at one point had IKEA, at one point had West Elm and now has those pieces. And he's saying, I don't want those anymore. I want to have a piece that will last me much longer, that is of a better quality and finish that graduates out of that. And I think being able to tie that to recognizable things that they would see in the marketplace helps guide the conversation. I'm really into the mix, as we know, but I like, for instance, I do have IKEA built-ins in my home. And I've modified it and upgraded them and trimmed them out so that you can't really tell. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can, but um, <laughs> I really like the high-low mix. So to get that moderate, medium price point budget level, you can shop in low and high and then you kind of mix it up. So. If the average kind of works out. Average works out to be moderate. A lot of clients get into the sticker shock. And I think that probably helps us go a little bit more into the full service type of jobs that involve construction and building in budget expectations around that. And it's a lot trickier, especially right now where construction costs are on the rise and volatile. First First thing I always talk about with clients related to construction or remodeling is I try to give them a bigger picture, particularly, and and this is not LA specific. This is nationally. We have a shortage of skilled tradespeople and craftspeople. We've seen a huge demographic shift away from these types of skilled work. We've been seeing it for decades in the United States that you have companies who want plumbers who are willing to pay to get new employees through their certifications because they need skilled labor. It's challenging. It's hard to find electricians, plumbers, carpenters, particularly really skilled finished carpenters, but let alone cabinet makers. It's anybody, even skilled furniture makers. So all of that is to tell you there's a reduced supply of that type of worker. The demand is just continuing to move up which means the price for that work is expensive. No matter where you are in the country, adjust it for your cost of living, but I guarantee you it's more expensive. No matter where you are in the country. The Hot In Designers Club is proud to partner with Jayport Living. When we're looking for trade vendors, things we care about are beautiful products, how easy it is to order, and whether we're supporting companies who are doing good in the world. We both really believe that a good rug makes the room, and Jaypore Living helps us bring quality rugs and textiles into our projects. Their website makes it quick to track inventory, place orders, and even get pricing on customized rugs. And Jaypore Living is a family-owned company with a focus on social responsibility. 
They are changing the lives of more than 40,000 artisan weavers throughout India by providing a living wage, education, and access to healthcare. So that means that every rug we sell to our clients is helping someone support their family. And hotties, we know you're going to love supporting women in business. More than 85% of Jaipur Living's weavers are women, and they're a female-led company. Head to jaipurliving.com slash HYD to sign up for your trade partner account today. So yeah, is HDTV fake? Yes. I start that with clients who want to do construction or remodeling. Whatever number you saw on whatever bullshit show, it's not right. It's not accurate for where we are. It's probably not accurate for the market it was filmed in. I mean, because they're taking the design fees out of it or the comp merch. Yeah, Yeah, there's like appliances were paid for or the contractor agreed to a lower rate. So it's never completely accurate. I always start with like, I want to dispel some myths before we start. And that's because, yeah, clients, their, their, their interaction with it is from what they see on TV or, oh, my mom remodeled her kitchen 15 years ago. And you're like, that number will no, there's no way it'll still be accurate. But there's also just apples to apples are so hard to compare. I mean, we were having a conversation with our design friend who just got two bids from two contractors on the exact same project. And there was a $200,000 difference. And it's the same specs. It's the same drawings, the same design plans, the same everything. It's insane. And that's why I also ask clients, we need to talk in ranges, not flat dollar amounts. So I need, I need to talk in those numbers when we're talking about construction or remodeling, especially in the early phone call or consult range. I don't know if they're picking marble or quartz. I don't know if it's paint grade or stain grade cabinetry. I have no idea what the design is going to be. And it's okay to say that to a client. I don't know what your taste level is on everything yet. So we're talking in ambiguous ranges. I'm not giving you quotes. So something that I found helpful is the national cost versus value remodeling guide. And I think I've shared this before and we'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. You've seen this, right? Yeah, you're really good at kind of this mm, high level data, but that still helps people make decisions or have a good understanding. I think people just don't know what they don't know. And the more that you can show them that it's not just like, it's just me, this designer making up this number. Like, (laughs) well, and like, we're not even making a lot of money on this stuff. So there's no incentive there's no incentive yeah 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 to sell it badly yeah i like this guide though because it's good for these initial conversations to have them go in it's for the whole nation so you can click your region and then you can narrow it down by geographic area for me that like la is a large metro area if you're elsewhere in the country that metro area may be larger but i like it because it's a free download and clients can access it. And this isn't your data. It's pulled from thousands of projects nationally. And it compares the cost of like entry level to high end to moderate kitchen refresh, full kitchen remodel, master, master bedroom suites. Like it does the whole thing. 
I'd ask clients not to look at the value portion because I don't care what you're going to get when you resell your property. But what I do care about is the cost of the project when it tells you. I mean, but they kind of do. Sometimes people are deciding if they're going to do it, if it's worth yes, it at all. Totally. But I just think it's good so, to say, here's the real number it's going to cost you right now. Like a yeah, moderate so kitchen just, remodel is going to be X dollars. Does that freak you out? And then it might turn them away. That's okay. I think it's helpful for clients to know and get totally. them comfortable with what they're spending. Yeah. The challenge for them most of the time is if they're so shocked and it seems so out of range to spend $86,000 on a kitchen that why would they care what it's going to resell for when they're thinking, how am I going to come up with $86,000? This is kind of like a qualifier for me is I want clients to look at this really early and start getting an idea. And after this, and you've done projects, you can start comparing this to what your contractors locally are building at. And I always look at I I'm have a pretty open line of communication with my clients. Like I have to know what the job costs, what the change orders were and everything. And so when a job finishes, I can go back and I can say, Oh, that job cost $325 a square foot by the time we were done. One, like everything done. And then I can use that data to help with future projects. And I can even com- compare it with clients. I can say, take a look at this project. This project was $275 a square foot. If it's a similar finish level for your project and based on your square footage, it could be costing this much. And I feel like that's really helpful to get a proper scope and budget that we can design from for their bathroom or for their kitchen. Because otherwise, it just tells me what finishes I can't pick or what materials I can't use. You're having those kinds of conversations a lot of times in consultation phone calls or even just pre-consultation discovery calls, calls, virtual consults, in-home consults before I've even made their proposal. Because Because I don't want to spend the time. I don't want to write a proposal and then deal with their disappointment when they go, oh, we just never thought it could be that much. No, let's do that before. Or I've even invested more time yeah. into it. And that's probably the majority. To, like, I mean. I'm happy to create a proposal if you say, okay, a kitchen remodel between seventy-five dollars and $95,000 is not freaking us out. I'd prefer if it was lower, but I understand it. We're still on board with it. We're still going to do that. Yes. Yeah. Then great. Let's do the proposal. There will always be more. I also ask clients to have 10% of their budget set aside for a construction contingency, which is scary for some people when you start thinking about like, oh, it's a $100,000 remodel. I need to have another 10 grand set aside. Yes. Yes, you do. Because you're going to ask the contractor to do something else, or he's going to find some termite damage, or we're going to have to bring in a specialty vendor that wasn't accounted for. And you need to have that money lined up. You have to be ready to write that check. And you have 110, right? <laughs> some people do, but some people have been saving for a long time. And it inevitably happens during construction where you just get this fatigue of yeah, totally. we're just bleeding money and bleeding money. And I don't want that to start changing the design 
you know, in a negative way, when we're into the thousands of dollars, where are you going to get it from? You're going to have to cut something from the project. And it's not going to be me. It's not going to be my design fee. It's not going to be the contractor. What do you cut? You're not going to put in an island in your kitchen now because you don't have the money? No, have the money. Have it. Have it ready. Do I don't want to do this again with because you put crappy stuff in. Some stuff right. makes sense to upgrade over time, but most is best to do while you're doing it and you have the trades in your house. So yeah, right. furniture. Yeah, you could replace the budget sofa later down the road with a more investment worthy sofa if you have kids. Are you going to do that with the floor tile in the bathroom now that everything's installed? No, okay. let's let's do it right once because you could change a rug, but you're not going to be changing the tile. You're not going to change the plumbing fixtures. You need a plumber to do it. Let's do it right one time. And I just want clients to understand cost per square foot, which I think if you don't know, you could get away by talking with contractors locally. I'm sure... Some might answer the phone and help you. <laughs> well, you'd have to have some type of rapport. You gotta build a relationship. You yeah. gotta have some relationships with them. With contractors I've worked with, I have been messaging them and saying, What are you saying now for new square footage? What would be your new range? And some are now saying, Oh, well, I used to be able to say as low as 250 per square foot when everything is said and done. But now I'm definitely starting at like 275 up to 325. And, you know, those are regional numbers. So I don't want anyone to like latch onto those. But those are helpful when I talk to clients to say, here's what's happening locally right now. And if these numbers already freak you out, I'm just sharing you a starting point. They're likely going to be more. And if you're already hard pass, you need to wait a couple years to save. Let's do that now. Let's pause now. Totally. Yeah, I think ultimately having these conversations early are the key. Being a trusted advisor, I mean, they have to trust us with their money. So we need to be talking about it frequently. Mm -hmm. And yeah, unemotionally, like it's most of the money that they give us is actually not staying in our pockets. Yeah, it doesn't benefit but it's furniture me or if, construction. Like, yeah, if you spent sixty grand on a kitchen or eighty grand on a kitchen, I'm not making exponentially more money off of that no, just because just you increase your budget. Yeah, it'll look better, and I might make more money on the next project because they want that, and I can start charging a higher design fee, but. I'm not purchasing as much there as I am with furnishing projects where I can make more markup revenue off of it. Yeah, true. But even so, so, most of that money goes to the furniture manufacturers. Exactly. And I think this is where we start getting into budget expectations is also talking about in this last year, I also introduced a minimum furniture accessory spend as part of any construction or remodeling project. So I'm no longer doing projects where it is only the kitchen or the bathroom and there's no furniture. I do have some projects that are still in process that were in place before I implemented that. But then I just drew a line in the sand and said, from here on, anybody who wants to do construction, I want to do remodeling and furnishing 
So if we're doing the kitchen, then maybe we're doing the dining room next to it, or we're going to do your guest bedroom, but there's going to be a minimum expenditure on goods because I can't just keep sustaining my business off of the design fee for, for those remodeling projects alone. Yeah, I think that's really smart. And if it's the kitchen, hopefully they're doing, yeah, the adjacent room. So your photography. Like I can get more out of it that way. And it's just, I'm not going to make it. Avoid this angle. (laughs) And I don't want my portfolio to all be kitchens and bathrooms with nothing else because I want to do more. So unfortunately the way to do that is to say, look, your whatever room, if it's not a decorating project, if we're going to remodel something, it's going to have decorating involved somewhere. You tell me the room. Like, it's going to have to fit in. And, and I think that's a yes. good stepping stone toward whole house. Because, yeah, we have design friends that they only do whole house and furnishing. Yeah. And my business model was really, it started off of a lot of construction. But, yeah, it's not going to sustain me long term. So I have to be the one to implement that shift. If I don't start doing it, it won't start moving those next projects because once you've done that a few times, yeah, yeah, it starts to say like, look, we did the kitchen and the dining room in this project. We did the great room next to this kitchen, or we did the master suite all together as part of the bathroom remodel. And I think that's where I have to be the agent to guide my business, the direction I want. No client's going to just come to me and start saying, I mean, that's a dream, right? But Oh, you're doing the bathroom? Might as well do the bedroom. It's like, maybe, but I have to sell it. I have to make them want it. And they might, but they also might, if they just see your portfolio and it's like, oh, let's hire Sean. He's the kitchen guy. Yeah. But then that's, you're just going to get more of those projects. All that is to say, we're in charge of where our projects go. We're in charge of the minimum budgets we'll work with. We're, We're in, in charge, charge of, of communicating those to the clients. Yes. And we have to set the right expectations really early before you've invested too much time and energy. So you're not resentful. So clients aren't upset with you. It avoids so many problems down the road when you could say, look, I know some of this came in more, but remember we set a range and I'm still within that range. So you told me that range. You have to own client that you told me that. We got to stick with it. Yeah. And you could be like Anaya White, who's just like, I just had to show you this really I love this so much. <laughs> I love when she and said that. I know. She's amazing. I just couldn't, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't show you this beautiful $10,000 chandelier. <laughs> now, there's lots of ways you can do it, but starting having a baseline. So, Everyone knows when you're going over it and not Oops. just this like, oh, I don't want to spend more, but, but not having any knowledge of even where you are. So exactly. So we are offering a really helpful guide for you guys. You can download a free copy of our Hot Young Designers Club client budgeting guide on our website's resources page at hotyoungdesignersclub.com. It's a PDF. It's going to give you an overview of how we do it with some notes on ways you can customize it for you and your own clients. This is where you can get a place to start building from that, develop your own resource to make the conversations easier with your clients on getting the budgets together. So I'm just going to say it again. You got this.
<laughs> That's your new thing. You, you go, girl. You go. You, let's go, girls. <laughs> Thanks for coming to this process party. And until next time. Stay hot, designers. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. That's hot. That's hot. Harrison Nicole here. That's hot.